On today's program, it's a conversation with author Ryan Holiday. Now, Ryan is one of my favorite authors. He's a strategist. He's an advisor to Fortune 500 companies, and he has mentored me without him even knowing it. That's what happens when you connect with a great author's writings. And Gib, you and I were basically in the uh, Ryan Holiday book club, just devouring books uh, of his that can really turn your life around. We're, we are in a lot of, but we pass around books, and we went through a Ryan Holiday phase in our little book club. Yeah, so yeah, ego is the enemy, and also uh, obstacle, the ob- is obstacle the way. And is, he's got that tattooed on his forearms. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, kind and of new, awesome. And the new book about uh, about about the Stoics. Well, yeah, he's obsessed with with the Stoics. Uh, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, Epictetus. He he recommends these books in his email and, and stuff, and and it got me sort of obsessed with these legendary geniuses of over time, right? right these people, right. these great thinkers who were able to accomplish so much more than I've ever could have hoped for. Yeah, and the reviews are, are pretty amazing for all of his books. Uh, for The Obstacle is the Way, Nancy Cohen, a historian and leadership expert from the Harvard Business School, writes, in this tight, engaging book, Ryan Holiday shines a bright, powerful light on the path to living and leading well. Read it, learn from it, and get cracking. I agree with this. So my conversation with Ryan Holiday is coming up in a bit later in the podcast. Given I will also tell you what experts say you might have in common with a genius. It's all about your handwriting, uh, the kind of walks you take, and how much coffee you drink. And then we'll tell you why you should put a cotton ball dipped in lavender oil in your pocket before you ask the boss for a raise or ask somebody out on a date. And we'll tell you what a new study has found about your dinner guests and what they're snooping around for in your bathroom. Don't miss this stuff. But first, did you know that we are sponsored this week by Decode DC? uh, Uh, Yeah. It's the podcast, as you know, that gives you an honest look at how politics affects your life. I am so tired of all of the different things on my news feed about this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And you look at the news source and the source is some random left-wing thing or some random right-wing thing. And at a certain point, I just want to know what's honestly going on and how it's going to affect my life. And that is what I love so much about Decode DC because I know... This is this is down the middle. This is because um, uh, Jimmy Jimmy Williams, the guy that hosted, he's worked actually for both sides of the aisle for Republicans and Democrats. So what I'm getting is is bipartisan. And I also love their uh, their series on how politics affects the food we uh, we eat, even from salt to sugar to everything in between, oh. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, we subsidize half of those products. So yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. that's all, all a part of our agricultural policy, and it's in our food because of it. We should know about that. We listen to Jimmy Williams and Decode DC. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Listen. Okay, let's get right to our special guest today, author Ryan Holiday. Now, Ryan is the author of several books that have seriously shaped my life. I first read The Obstacle is the Way, which is basically how to turn your trials in life into big victories, no matter how tough those trials happen to be. He's also written Ego is the Enemy, which helped me take a serious look inside myself to check my ego and to be more successful in all of my business dealings and my relationships. And then his latest book is The Daily Stoic, which is 366 Meditations on Wisdom, Perseverance, and the Art of Living. If you trust me, you will pick up these books and just start reading like crazy. And Ryan, as we, as we get started here, and Ego is the Enemy, one of my favorite chapter titles is Talk, Talk, Talk. And you start the chapter with a, a great quote from Lao Tzu, which I, if I remember correctly is, those who know do not speak, those who speak do not know. And I'd like for you to flesh that out for us a bit, because I, I think as we progress with this interview, you're going to find that every cautionary tale you tell in Ego is the Enemy and also in, in Obstacle is the Way, I've pretty much made those mistakes you warn against. And uh, the Talk, Talk, Talk chapter resonated with me because I feel like many times in my career I've come up with what I think are awesome master plans for projects and that if I had just started doing the work, instead of talking so much about it, I would have accomplished much, much more. Well, look, I, I, I appreciate what you just said. I, 
I, I would agree uh, in my own life as well. I, I'm not saying that, hey, uh, everyone else is, is full of it and talking too much, and I'm, I'm not guilty of that myself. I, I think almost every story in the book I have pers- that, that is a negative one I have personally done myself, and that's how I came to sort of understand it. But, you know, w- what I wanted to talk about was the way in which social media and our sort of culture of encouragement, let's say as far as entrepreneurship goes and stuff like that, the, the way that it's created a world in which you can talk about doing all these things but never actually have to do them, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, one of my friends is the author's name is Austin Kleon, and he's, he, made, he has a joke about how many people want to be the noun without doing the verb. <laughs> so yeah. they, they want to be a writer without writing, and they want to be an actor without acting, and, and they, they want all the credit, but they don't want to do the work. And I, I'm sure those people have always existed, but you didn't used to be able to name yourself the CEO of a fake company and put it on LinkedIn and then get endorsements for it. And you didn't used to be able to – one of my favorite Twitter accounts is, is called I'm Working on My Novel. And it's just people tweeting about working on their novel you know, and therefore not actually working on their novel. Right. And so I, I think what we've created is this culture where we validate each other and we talk about what we're doing. And this is always easier and more encouraging than doing the really difficult thing itself. It's hard to write a novel. You have to sit there and feel like you're worthless and that you're not making any progress, but the sitting there is important. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for recording an album or doing a PBS special, And uh, as you said. And and we don't do those things because we we can chase the validation for kind of having done Mm -hmm. them online. I'm guilty, guilty. And, And you know, in your books, Ryan, uh, you're always very generous mentioning other authors and recommending their books. And so uh, because of you, I came to read Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art and also his book, Do the Work. And in those books, he talks about, uh, it's, it's, it reminds me so much of what you just said. It's an almost like satanic thing that gets in our way when we're trying to create to a- accomplish something. It, it distracts us uh, with binge watching or sleeping in or going out every night or even with substance abuse. So Pressfield gives it the name, uh, the resistance. And his point is that the, the resistance is real. We have to recognize it. We have to respect it and then just find a way to do the work. Yeah. Well, I, I like that you brought up do the work. Cause I, I think what you do is you let the work speak for you, right? It's easy day in and day out for me to go on social media and, you know, get a little bit of validation and credit from, you know, my audience or from the outside world. Right. Um, What's harder, it's, it's essentially you know, what they call the marshmallow test. Can I say, actually, I'm going to forgo that day in and day out for the next two years, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pour hundreds of hours into making this, this book, or in some cases, it might be a company or a project or whatever. I'm going to put all my time, and I know that that action is going to speak much more loudly and be heard much more clearly than, uh, than, than the talk and the hype and the marketing ever will. So right. it's, I think first off it's saying, look, I'm, my primary voice is going to be through what I put out into the world, not what I say about what I'm going to put out. There's that Henry Ford quote, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think you have, you have to live that. And then I think, you, I, I think the other part of it is, is sometimes um, we can sort of be paralyzed by this need for or perfectionism, right? So um, we, we don't understand that doing great work is a, is a set of intermediary steps. Mm-hmm. So because, um, and, and I talk about this in Ego, uh, Ira Glass has talked about sort of what happens when you're young is that you have really great taste, right. but you, you're not good yet because you haven't, you haven't done it long enough. Mm-hmm. And so 
you have these very high standards for what is good and what is not good. And you can use that, oh, I'm not there yet, I'm not ready yet, I'm still working on it. You can use this sort of perfectionism from preventing you from, from progressively getting better. It's like we want to debut with a critically acclaimed you know, masterpiece right. when the reality is most of us progressively get better over the course of our, our career. So I think it's, it's stripping some of the ego out of the equation and saying, look, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm okay being on the periphery doing my work. I'm, I'm going to show my work as I go. I'm going to improve. Um, I, I don't need to impress everyone all the time. Right, exactly. And that's really the cornerstone teaching of your favorite area of study in these books as a historian, which is Stoicism. Yeah, I mean, what, what the Stoics are saying is that you only control yourself, you don't control other people. And so I, to me, that is the perfect recipe for an artistic career um, because at a certain point, your work leaves your hands and it enters the rest of the world. Like one of, one of the saddest examples of this to me is, is John Kennedy Toole, who wrote A Confederacy of Dunces, right? Yep. He writes this amazing book. It's rejected in publishing and he commits suicide. And a few years after his death, his, his mother finds it. She sends it to a local author who happened to be Walker Percy. Um, he gets it published and it wins the Pulitzer Prize right. that year. And so, but literally nothing changed from the book that was rejected to the book that was, you know, is now widely beloved. The book is so good that people, that it's too funny to be a movie. Yeah, like that's yeah. how good the book is. That's the book with and, the Ignatius in it, right? Yes, exactly. I love that and, book. and so it's, it's, it's this magnificent piece of literature, but he was so devastated by what other people said about it that he, he deprived himself and the world of all future works of literature uh, from him. And, you know, if, if you are going to, if you are going to let the outside world determine the worth of your project, you, you are inherently vulnerable and exposed as a creative person. Obviously the audience matters. Obviously you want them to like your stuff, but I think you have to go into it knowing this is the best that I could have possibly done. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I lined up everything that I possibly could but at a, to, I don't control other people and I don't control um, whether they like me or not. And I have to keep doing what I'm doing. So, so people who are listening to this right now, is there, how can you tell if you have an ego that's out of control, if you need to manage it, if it's getting in the way? Is there a test? Yeah, there's obviously the psychopath, the psychopath <laughs> test and there's a test right. for narcissism that it's sort of an index. I don't think there is one for ego. And, and you know, I'm not talking about ego in any sort of, quantifiable way. I'm, I'm just talking about it as a force that exists in all of our lives. Sure. Um, you know, when Bill Walsh had a great line, he said, e ego is when confidence becomes arrogance. Wow. And I think, I think that's what we're talking about when, you know, confidence is great. What the problem is when that confidence isn't based on anything real mm -hmm. and it's, it starts to become illusions that we have about ourselves in the world. So, Look, I'm not saying that you're an egomaniac or that you are, you know, what I am saying is that we all do and think things out of ego and that this is usually the source of a lot of mistakes and grief and, and anguish in our lives. Right. And that if we can sort of reduce ego as much as possible when we're, when we're deciding between things, when we're doing our work, when we're interacting with other people, we're going to be happier and more productive 
and we're going to do a better job. It makes so much sense. I saw a lot of myself in this book, unfortunately. Uh, and you know, after reading uh, Ego is the Enemy and Obstacle is the Way, I then come to find out that these books somehow ended up becoming the playbook for some of the world's most renowned sports coaches. And you must have loved that. Yeah, it's, it, it was obviously a surprise. You know, I'm, I'm writing about ancient philosophy and, and how to apply it in our lives. I, I wasn't thinking like this would be perfect in, you know, the NFL, but you know, it, it, it makes sense, right? Uh, every day uh, a team is waking up and they are dealing with situations they don't control, whether that's referees or injuries or, you know, somebody else's ego or an opponent acting a certain way. And your job as an athlete is to, is to make the most of it, right? Bill Belichick, he just says, do your job. You know, Nick Saban at University of Alabama, he has the process. He's like, don't focus on the whole game, just focus on this play. Right? He says the average down in football is seven seconds. Just do your job for seven seconds. So I think obstacle resonated in sports because it's sort of a simple formula for gaining a mental edge. Like the physical edges in sports are mostly exploited, but the mental edge is, is still relatively underexplored. So I think that's why that book landed. And then I remember as I was writing Ego, I spent some time with a, a football coach who was with the Patriots. And I, I was saying that I was asking him about ego and he said, you know, ego is the cancer of my profession. That's what he said. Wow. And I mean, it strikes me that actually ego is the cancer of all professions. But in sports, you have all these talented people, all of whom are or many of whom are the absolute best in the world at what they do. But that skill is irrelevant if they don't come together as a team and work on some common goal, if they don't function as a unit. And, um, you know, once you win, all of those factors are multiplied, right? You know, a team wins. It's very rare that a, that a team wins a Super Bowl twice in a row uh, or, or, you know, the World Series twice in a row precisely because right as you win, uh, a team begins to tear itself apart. And, and ego is largely the root of that. So I think by talking about some of these timeless problems and, and some of the wisdom from history and philosophy that lets you overcome them, the, the books have just found an unexpected audience. So I just watched uh, at least once every month and a half. I watch uh, Gladiator, which is my my, yeah. my my favorite. Film. I love that. Movie. My favorite film. It is a perfect film for so many different reasons, and uh, it just gets me. It, it just gets me going. But but it's it's really, sadly it's really where I started to learn about Marcus Aurelius, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 you love Marcus Aurelius. Why? Yeah. So for people who haven't seen Gladiator or they haven't heard of Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> Marcus Aurelius is the old guy right. who gets killed by Joaquin Phoenix at the beginning. But it's sort of his philosophy that goes through the the movie. Awesome. Um, Marcus Aurelius was was the emperor of Rome. He's considered the last of the five good emperors. He's basically uh, the exception that proves the rule that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. Yep. Um, he had unlimited wealth, unlimited power head of the most powerful army on, on, on earth, head of the most powerful empire the world has ever known. And what he really loved was philosophy. He did his job as the emperor, which he did not inherit. He was chosen for. Um, and he did, he did a, a, a good job as far as we can tell. But every night he would write in this little book, uh, this journal, he would write notes to himself about how to be better, how to control his temper, how to, whether he should be afraid to die or not. Um, you know, how to, how, to, how to care for other people, how to put up with, you know, other people's inconveniences and idiosyncrasies. And, and, and he's saying all this not to seem smart, mm -hmm. not to eventually publish a book of his wisdom, but for his own personal practice. And it's only by freak accident that this work survives to us. So 
I just find him to be this utterly fascinating, unique figure, um, you know, who, who can serve as a model for us. And, and I have a small bust of Marcus Aurelius on my desk. Um, it was carved in 1820 out of, out of Italian marble. And it's interesting to me to think that, you know, 180 years ago, you know, somebody was thinking about this guy the same way that I'm thinking about him. And centuries before that, people that he's been this sort of example of how to be a good, noble person, sure. even amidst intrigue and power um, in, in the world. So I, I'm really fascinated by him. You're listening to my conversation with author Ryan Holiday, author of The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and his latest book is The Daily Stoic, 366 Meditations of Wisdom, Perseverance, and the Art of Living. I love all of these books, and we're going to have more with Ryan in just a moment. When you have a moment, please remember to subscribe to our Intelligence for Your Life podcast on iTunes. Also, we'd love it if you'd throw in an awesome review on iTunes. So once again, we're going to have more with Ryan coming up, and then Gib and I will also give you the genius test there are, in fact, things many of you are doing every day that geniuses like Leonardo da Vinci and Albert Einstein also did. It's the genius test. You know, unfortunately, our favorite foods, especially my favorite foods, aren't always the healthiest for us. But now there's a way to get craveable foods made with vegetables, made with vegetables and wholesome ingredients that you can feel good about with Hungry Root. I have a craving problem. You I, really I, do. I crave comfort foods. You really and, do. And now these are comfort foods made with healthy ingredients, which is pretty amazing, Hungry Root. Well, it, right. So, so you have a you have an ice cream problem. I have a cookie problem. Hungry Root makes uh, this vegan organic cookie dough with no eggs in yeah, it, so you can eat it raw. And because we talk yeah. about all of the diseases yeah. that you can get from eating raw yeah. eggs, you can eat this cookie dough raw. I mix it with some peanut butter on a spoon, yeah. and I just eat it as a go-to yeah. snack. And it's a nice, it's a nice sweet, craveable snack that I do that I don't have to feel bad about. What was it? Wait, we posted a picture on Facebook of you cooking. What? What was? Oh, yeah, that? I was making like sweet potato uh, fettuccine and, Alfredo. And, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so cashew so, cheese. So a, there's a, a growing line of thirty products and everything from cheese roasted sweet potato wedges to turnip noodles. Yeah, I like I said, I I love this stuff, and I I am a guilty snacker. If there if there is bad stuff in available for snacking. If there are bad cookies, I will eat them. But if there's good food, I feel so much better having done it. And that's why I'm absolutely in love with the Hungry Root stuff that we got. I absolutely love it. So Hungry Root was founded by Top Chef Masters alumnus Chef Franklin Becker. And the cool thing is, and I love this, Hungry Root ships bundles of healthy comfort foods right to your door. The starter set is a great deal at just $60. And for today's listeners, you can get 50% off your first bundle by going to HungryRoot.com slash intelligence. So indulge in your health and subscribe to a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly bundle of these amazing feel-good foods today that Gib and I love. It's HungryRoot.com slash intelligence. All right, so we're going to talk a bit about uh, about Ting Mobile. And Gib, this just lit you up when we were talking to the Absolutely company. Absolutely lit me up. Because I look, I am attached to my phone. It is never more than an arm's length away from me, all the time. It's my alarm clock. It's everything. <laughs> so I'm addicted to my phone. It, but the but we constantly look at our budget and we go, why are we spending so much right. money on the phone? Now some months I need every gigabyte of data that I have, and some months I need half of it. And uh, when I was talking to guys at Ting Mobile, they were saying that I can actually change my plan month to month. I only I only pay for what I end up using. So I got really really excited. Some of these people. They have an app, and they have um, uh, this like dashboard display where you can see how many minutes and texts and, and gigabytes of data you've used in a given month. And people try to get their phone bill as low as possible. So you can turn it into yeah. a game, yeah. and that That's, game is saving money on your cell phone bill. <laughs> yeah, so there's no set plans, no penalties, and no contracts. And the average monthly cell phone bill 
of just $23 per phone. And the great news is it actually runs on the same network as T-Mobile or, or Sprint, depending on if you have a GSM or CDMA phone. Uh, and so you can actually get top-tier coverage at this amazing at this amazing adjustable price. Yeah, so it's not Bob and Frank with an antenna in their basement. Jack is, and Irma's <laughs> magic phone. This is real. This is real stuff. And they told us you can actually take your current device with you, or, or most devices. You have to. You can check on their website. If you go to actually tesh.ting.com, you can learn all about Ting. You can sign up, and you can find out if your device is compatible. And our listeners can save twenty five dollars off select devices or receive twenty five dollars in Ting service credit just for getting started. So just go to tesh.ting.com. You want to save a pile of money when you're using your phone? I'd really do yeah yeah tesh.ting.com check it out and we're back with ryan holiday and ryan i know from your background that because of all the intense research you've done on stoicism and ego and even your marketing experience you get called on often to do some high level coaching and consulting with companies and individuals and i was wondering if there's a sameness that you find when you get inside the doors with these folks that, that was one of the big motivators of ego is that I sort of had some of this before I wrote the book. And it was interesting how often it would be like I would be called to someone's penthouse apartment or their mansion or, the, you know, we'd meet at some fancy restaurant. And, and it, was tr- it was so obvious that just no one was willing to tell this person the truth in any way or that people would tell them the truth. Yeah. But they, what they heard, what, they, what was said and what was heard were two fundamentally mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it was interesting to me to look at success, really successful people and see how they held themselves back. I think one of the things is we see ego. We go like, you know, Donald Trump is obviously successful, so ego can't be bad. Right. But what we don't think about is all the things that Donald Trump has tried to do or Kanye West has tried to do or Michael Jordan has tried to do and the way that that ego has prevented them from being as successful as they could have been mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to me, is the, is the way someone, someone is incredibly talented, incredibly smart, and yet they fail, um, not for any outside reasons, but because of something that was preventable or changeable, but their ego prevented right. that from right, happening. Yeah, because for all of us, ego can be the enemy. So I, I can't remember which chapter it is, but I, I remember turning the page <clears throat> and and seeing the words at the uh, the at the the top of the page that said in bold letters, "Don't be passionate," and and I lost my mind because I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's how everybody describes me." Oh, John, you're so passionate. You're so passionate. I say, and on the radio, I'm always saying, "You got to be passionate about this." And then I read the I read the chapter. I'm like, "Oh, now I see why I've made so many mistakes in my life." Is because you can't just have passion, right? Yeah, I would say first off that, pers- that, that sorry that purpose is better than passion. Um, I I think when you look at a lot of the really successful people in history, it's it's it wasn't passion that made them good. It was their 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 sense of purpose and strength and and mission. Um, you know, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was asked to uh, explain John Wooden and what made him great, he chose one word and he said dispassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wasn't the coach yelling on the sidelines. He was the coach meticulously organizing practice and looking at the stats and breaking down each player and giving them a job to do and then letting the game run its course. Um, so, so, and I think you could apply dispassionate to, to Kareem as well. Um, meanwhile, uh, you know, George Bush, I would say, is very passionate about invading, invading Iraq. I would say Napoleon was passionate about uh, invading Russia. It's, it's, it's when our desire to do something and our sort of deep-seated sense that it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. 
allows us to override any of the objections or feedback or common sense, that that's when we get into trouble. So I don't think it's about find, like, don't go find your passion. Find what you're good at, right. which oh, that find something you're good at that overlaps with something that people will pay for that overlaps with something that you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. So what would you state as, uh, as your purpose? Uh, my purpose, I, I like to find timeless wisdom from history and, and teach it to people and to myself. That my, so my purpose is, is writing great books mm-hmm. that I think will last and stand the test of time. So this allows me not to – I have lots of ideas that would be interesting or fun but I can compare them against this mission and say, hey, you know what? That's not the book for me. Yeah, it's, I, I'm going to control my passion, I promise. Uh, it was so easy for you to spit out your purpose right on the spot. It's pretty clear that staying focused is, uh, is one of the big reasons you have so many best-selling books. Uh, so once more, the most intelligent thing you listeners can do right now is just go to Amazon.com, order all of Ryan's books. My favorites, of course, are the ones with the wisdom of the Stoics. So the obstacle is the way, ego is the enemy, and the daily Stoic. They're all amazing. You can reach Ryan. At ryanholiday.net. Make sure you sign up for his uh, his Twitter feed. Uh, Ryan, thanks again for all your time. You're you're obviously as good an interview as you are an author. Really nice to finally get to interview you. All right, man. We're gonna we're gonna stay in touch. Look, this this is flattering and an honor for me. So I, I'm glad. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Okay, so Gib, we still have some time here. There's this great piece that our researchers found about how to tell if you might be a genius. So I've I've seen your SAT scores. We already know that you're a genius, but. These are a few things that uh, the folks at home and I might have in common, might have in common with a genius. So take the test at home and let us know how you do at facebook.com slash John Tesh. For example, most geniuses have bad handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you went genius. Right. So you and I both have bad handwriting. Yeah. I, I would like to say I just have bad handwriting. I'm not genius. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Now a whole bunch of people who just do not spend a lot of time on penmanship are going, Oh, I'm a genius. That's why nobody can understand my notes. That's not always why, but it could be part of you being a genius. We found a, a couple of studies that suggest that geniuses write illegibly because their brains work so quickly that their hands can't keep up, and leading to scribbling and skip letters and odd abbreviations. So think about doctors. Nobody can ever read their stuff. Except They're geniuses. for pharmacists who that's, are also geniuses in their right. own way. That's right. Okay, next. Geniuses tend to be crazy about coffee. Well, yeah. This is crazy. Okay. It's like you wrote this thing. <laughs> So, so Gibb, he's got his own, I don't even know, where, where do you, where do you, yeah, we have a coffee factory in your house. I have a coffee cart. It yeah. is a separate space within the kitchen that is just for coffee paraphernalia, and all of my stuff oozes out off of that cart. So I'm not- And it, what's the most paraphernalic thing you have? What's uh, the most paraphernalia? Um, my daily use is a, is, a, is a Chemex. It looks like- um, Oh, yeah, actually not. It's like a big glass uh, bowl, and it, and, and it has like a little funnel that you put on the top of it for, for putting the coffee in. And it's, it makes amazing tasting coffee, but uh, my wife, when I'm out of town, doesn't know how to do it. And so she doesn't <laughs> get coffee when I leave. <laughs> you got to get a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Uh, so geniuses, as I said, they tend to be crazy about coffee. Like, given you're, you're in very good company, Beethoven actually counted exactly 60 beans for each cup of coffee. That is so smart. Because, you know, I travel. I, <laughs> That's well, a we, thing? Well, because I travel with coffee and I never, I, at home I have a scale. So I know exactly how much water and how much coffee I'm putting into the mixture Gosh. because I'm obsessed with it. But if I could just count the 60 beans like Beethoven, what a genius solution. He didn't have a scale with him. He just counted. And Benjamin Franklin carried a supply of coffee beans on his transatlantic travels to make sure he'd never run out. <laughs> so people I, are nuts. I, I do that? Okay. Last time we were on well, vacation. You're a yeah. I, well, that doesn't not make me a genius just means i'm obsessed with the bean number three geniuses love long walks so steve jobs was famous for his walking meetings 
Beethoven also took long walks carrying pencil and paper in case he was inspired. I, I, we've talked a lot about how important walking is and, and walking meetings are, how good they are for, for creativity. So on our shows, um, it's, it's, it definitely goes both ways. So geniuses walk a lot, but also walking a lot makes you a genius. Yeah, that's you, true. You can actually make yourself better by going right. for the walk. Yeah, it increases your, uh, your, your blood flow to your brain. And then geniuses, this is the fourth one, geniuses tend to be music lovers. So Galileo played the lute. Da Vinci played several instruments, including some he invented, and Einstein played the violin. And Gibb, our, our resident genius, he taught himself how to play the ukulele. Yeah, well, okay, so the ukulele. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay, Galileo, lutes, Da Vinci, several instruments, and he invented them. Yeah, that's the Einstein thing. played the violin, exactly. and Gibb Gerard plays the ukulele. I picked up a toy at Guitar Center. Uh, Which are awesome at it. Well, it's very kind of you to say that. I appreciate that. I do love it. But you can't put that. It's like Gib picks up the ukulele. Leonardo da Vinci invents several instruments. <laughs> that is not. Those are not comparable. Well, he was earlier, and there weren't that many <laughs> instruments. You could have invented the ukulele. And Gib plays ukulele with us on stage. He plays that song "Hallelujah" by Leonard Cohen, which is totally, totally awesome. And he uses it to drive his, his father-in-law crazy. I do. So yeah, and that's 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 a real thing. So there you go. That's the rise <laughs> of wrap up for you. That's how to tell if you have the brain power of, of Albert Einstein. You have bad handwriting. You're crazy about coffee. You go on. Long walks like Steve Jobs, uh, and you're a music lover and uh, and a music and, a, and an instrument inventor. So this is from the uh, University of Leiden. Research from there from the researchers there found that if you're uh, if you're going on a job interview or, or having people over for the first time, you should tuck a lavender scented cotton ball in your pocket. Of course. So dip it in you know the essential oil. Right, I have some right here, and you put it on on a, on a cotton ball and put it in your pocket because the scent makes people feel more trusting and open. So the research uh, from, from Leiden, they found that people are approximately 25% more trusting of others when a lavender scent is present because lavender oil has common compounds that put people in a more pro-social mindset, which and encourages it, closeness. And everybody just thinks you're really clean because you smell like a bar of soap. Well, you know, the, the problem with this stuff is that I always, I think, you know, it's like, well, if, you know, if, if one vitamin D pill is good, I should, 50 should be great for me. And then I end up getting sick. It's like, you know, uh, so I would just dip, I would pour the whole thing all, yeah. over, all over me. And then you'd you smell know? like that really weird candy that only grandmothers have. <laughs> but uh, imagine, imagine walking into your boss's office with a, with a lavender scented, uh, Johnson, were you at a fancy <laughs> guest house recently? Why do you smell like lavender soap? Uh, it's, I mean, huh. I, I, what a great life hack, but make sure, like, like you said, you did, we don't overdo it because, because it, you will smell like a bar of soap. But it might be a good idea on a date, though. I mean, if you have, if you have halitosis or something, or, you know, if you have bad breath. Maybe, Use lavender? Well, yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. I mean, because we're always talking about men are putting on too much cologne and they're yeah. spraying with the Axe stuff. And then, the, uh, and then the other thing is that, that women, we know for a fact that women, if they're on a date with you, if they, if they smell something bad, uh, and, yeah. you, and you're in the room. They're going to associate that. You. Yeah, they'll associate that with you. Here's the problem. So you control wear, the smell of the room. If you is what we're wear about. a lavender scent, that woman is not going to think, "Oh, I, this guy really understands the aromatherapy needs that I have." She's going to think this guy was on a date with another woman who was wearing a lavender perfume earlier today. <laughs> no man smells like lavender except for this purpose. So just <laughs> save it for the job interview. You know, wear your confidence cologne for dinner, but don't wear too much of it. Okay, but I, I always thought this was a thing, and now we know it's for real. And you have a lot of, you're very, you're, you're an entertainer. I mean, you have people over at your house. You we have try. little parties and things. You have Bible study there and everything. But you should know that uh, when people go to the bathroom, uh-huh. they're snooping like crazy. Oh, I it, assume they are. We now, you, do you really? Of course. We now know 
that 40% of house guests, they snoop around. Psychologists and sociologists have researched why people love snooping so much. According to one doctor, it's a desire to know the person better. <laughs> Price. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doctor has a lot of faith in people. He says, that medicine, I do not share. He says, quote, medicine cabinets are where you find secrets, and people are naturally <laughs> yeah. curious. So here are the top snooping spots, according to these psychotherapists. Ready? Uh, the bathroom, medicine cabinet, of course. The bedroom, mm-hmm. the nightstand. Inappropriate. Uh, yeah. You know, if it's in the bathroom and yeah, you're in the bathroom yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. you happen to notice something, totally fine. The nightstand is absolutely inappropriate. But what if you get caught? I would never do this because I'd be oh, deathly afraid of getting caught. That would be horrible. Yeah. That would be horrible. Absolutely inappropriate. And if you and if you open up the medicine cabinet, you instantly know what's wrong and what's right, oh, yeah. what what they're what everybody's doing. There's a whole episode of Seinfeld about oh, this. Oh, is there really? Where he's dating a girl and he comes across this antifungal cream <laughs> and he spends the whole episode going trying to find a dermatologist who would tell him what it's for. It turns out it's for her cat. Oh. It's a, it was a great episode. So, and by so, the time So they, they took him thirty minutes to figure that out, right? Right. right and by right. the time it happens, he gets caught. Oh gosh. That's and how did he cut how did he cover it? Do you remember? No, I don't. Oh, so we'll have to look. We'll bring, yeah. have to look that up. Bring I it think up. he just ends up getting broken up with. Uh, that's that's and, the way. And apparently, some guests do not limit themselves to just snooping. According to a brand new survey, one in one hundred people do admit. So you know, it's more than that. They admit to taking something that didn't belong to them. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, if it's like a mint, or if it's like a little bit of moisturizer, you can take that. But you can't like like you can put it on if they have like lotion. Use the lotion. Yeah, I, I think we're talking hydrocodone. Yeah, yeah but don't like Vicodin. take it yeah. with you. Yeah, that's yeah. inappropriate. Yeah. So so forty percent of your house guests are snooping around when they're uh, when you're not and looking. Sixty percent lied about it in this study. You know our phones are such an integral part of our daily lives, and for that reason, a lot of cell phone carriers think they can get away with overcharging me. They, but, they but, get away with overcharging me. Yeah, yeah, but not Ting. No, no, Ting believes that you should pay only what you use. So. Uh, you, if you want to use five gigabytes in a month, you pay for five gigabytes. If you want to make two phone calls, you pay for two phone calls. They've actually been able to result in an average monthly cell phone bill of only twenty three dollars. That's crazy. No, that's that's insane. Mine's like mine's like twenty no, please, times. Please that. don't talk. Please don't talk to me about that. Okay, so visit tesh.ting.com to try Ting today. You get $25 off select devices uh, when you start your service just for getting started. So that's tesh, T-E-S-H, dot ting, T-I-N-G, dot com. It's your new ridiculously low cell phone bill, an average monthly cell phone bill of only $23 per phone. Thanks again for joining us today for the Intelligence for Your Life podcast. Special thanks to author Ryan Holiday for spending some time with us today. You can get Ryan's books at Amazon.com. Again, my favorites are The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and The Daily Stoic. Ryan is a gifted researcher and writer. Our honor to have him on the show. Also, thanks to you, our listeners. We love doing this podcast for you, and we would appreciate it if you would subscribe on iTunes. Give us a review, recommend this show to your friends and family. Gib Gerard, Connie Selica, and I can always be reached at facebook.com slash John Tesh. We will see you next time.